What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello, everybody. My name is John B. I write with GangGreenNation.com, and I am the host of Locked On Jets. And Matthew Fairburn of Locked On Bills is with me. We're doing a little crossover episode of the Locked On Jets and Locked On Bills show to get ready for Thursday night's Week 2 game between the Jets and the Bills. Matthew, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Excited to... Uh... To be doing this crossover episode, first one for us on Lockdown Bills, and obviously this is a huge division game, so a good time to uh, to get the uh, other perspective on, on this game. So I guess my first question for you deals with Tyrod Taylor. The Bills did something I was expecting them to do all offseason. They gave, they gave him an extension, which was a smart move because they really, it's, from what I've seen from the contract, they did not commit to themselves necessarily for a long period of time with Taylor and they locked him in at a pretty decent rate if he continues to play well but I'm interested to what extent the Bills are hoping he takes on more of the load this season because last year he was not necessarily the guy that was driving the offense uh the Bills threw the ball the second fewest time the Bills have the second fewest passing attempts in the league and in the games the Bills won Taylor never threw 30 passes in a game so are the Bills expecting Taylor to carry more of the load this year or is he going to be in a similar role you know I think they would like for him to take on a a bigger role uh, in in the passing offense and kind of uh, be that guy that they can lean on and, and form their offensive game plan around but uh you know you saw in week one uh, he went 15 for 22 for 111 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Probably the worst game he's played since he's been the Bills' quarterback. And so, you know, that wasn't a, a particularly inspiring performance for him or the rest of the passing offense. And so, yeah, you know, you you give a guy a, a six-year, ninety-plus million-dollar extension, which, like you said, it was kind of a, a prove-it deal. They didn't commit a ton of guaranteed money to him, but. Still, the the idea behind that extension was that you know Tyrod Taylor would take that next step and and he would become the type of quarterback that that can be a difference maker for this team and can uh, win games with his arm instead of uh, like you said, kind of just uh, taking what's presented to him and, and taking these dink and dunk throws and uh, making the occasional play. They want him to be that quarterback that can throw it thirty thirty five times a game. And they and they still win a game, but right now, you know, based on week one, he, he's he's still not there. Uh, and Sammy Watkins is a little banged up. Uh, the Bills lost their left tackle Cordy Glenn uh, on Sunday, so there's a lot of things happening around him that uh, you know there's it, it makes it harder on him. But you give a guy that type of contract, you kind of expect him to be the quarterback who can. Uh, help ease those losses and you know obviously that's the big test facing Taylor and the big question facing the Bills in 2016. Absolutely and I always think from a Jets perspective one of the frustrating things about the Rex Ryan era 
seeing the year Taylor had in Buffalo last year, one of the things you always said watching the Jets was if the Jets only had a quarterback, it'd pretty much be the, the quarterback you just you describe Taylor as, where it's not necessarily a guy who carries the load, but he's a guy who you could depend on to be he's not he's not a guy who's going to get in the way of the offense succeeding he'll hit a pass when he has to he'll make a, he'll make some plays with his legs he'll avoid the big mistake and it's just it's one of the things that i think from a jets perspective was kind of frustrating last year it was watching rex you know he's got the you know he's a great defensive schemer and he always likes to run the ball he he can build a productive run game but he never had that quarterback in new york that like taylor where he's not necessarily going to be an all pro but he's not going to get in the way of the offense yeah exactly and and isn't it funny how it worked out rex ryan finally had a quarterback who looked you know probably you know his best quarterback he's had as a head coach and then his defense fell apart and it wasn't good enough uh, to be a playoff team. And then, you know, just when you think the Bills have everything figured out on offense uh, and the defense is the big question, in week one, they were pretty dominant defensively against the Ravens other than a mistake or two. Uh, and it was the offense who held them back. So uh, sort of the story of, of Rex Ryan's coaching career, I guess, is that uh, the whole team isn't uh, firing on all cylinders all at once at exactly the right time. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of time for them to figure it out, but uh, Sunday was was definitely not a good start uh, for, for 2016. Do you think Rex is coaching for his job this season? In a way, I think he is. Uh, I think it would be I, – I don't think he's coaching for his job as much as maybe people think he is, if that makes sense. But I, I think on it, it would be impossible for him to not be – coaching for his job on some level after the year the bills had in 2015 to go eight and eight after all the expectations they had i do think it's uh, a big pressure year for rex ryan but i've sort of said all along that it depends you know how the season goes in the sense that it's not cut and dry where if they miss the playoffs he'll be fired i think it depends how they miss the playoffs and let's face it with sammy Watkins banged up the top two draft picks hurt Marcel Darius suspended. Uh, the left tackle's down now. Rex Ryan already has a, a couple of built-in excuses to pitch to ownership if this thing doesn't work out. Definitely. Um, what did you, could you give us a little recap of the way the how the Bills looked yesterday for fans who didn't see the game against Baltimore? Yeah, the Bills did not look good, uh, particularly on offense. They looked very very bad on offense 160 total yards which was their worst season opener performance on offense since 1979 it was their worst offensive output in a single game since 2006 uh, Tyrod Taylor threw for 111 yards which was not nearly good enough he was kind of just dinking and dunking taking the short throws he threw completed two passes of 10 yards or more uh, only one pass over 20 yards which uh, you know, definitely isn't how this team succeeded a year ago in the passing game. It was all about uh, the deep throws to Sammy Watkins, and uh, Watkins came out of the game with a bit of a, a foot soreness after having uh, off-season foot surgery, so that's something to monitor this week. Uh, he says he'll play, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, offensively, it was just all around a bad performance. The, the offensive line couldn't open up any holes in the running game. Uh, outside of one drive where they were able to punch in 
uh, a short rushing touchdown from LaShawn McCoy. The offense was pretty terrible. And then defensively, they actually looked good. It was one of the better performances they've had since Rex Ryan took over as, as the coach. They were putting a lot of pressure on Joe Flacco, uh, even as shorthanded as they are in, in the front seven. They did a pretty good job in coverage. The only real lapse was uh, the Mike Wallace touchdown, 66 yards. He got matched up on safety Duke Williams, who's the Bills' third safety. So it was just a mismatch. Rex Ryan took the blame for it. Other than that play and then penalties being an issue, which you can basically count on with the Bills. Other than that, defensively, I thought they looked really, really good. Definitely good enough to win the game. But the offense is a major, major question mark moving forward. Yeah, the, the, I'll give you a little rundown on the way the Jets played. Is Jets came out and they they couldn't they could not have had a better start to the game. They give they have a quick three and out. They go right down the field, score a touchdown. Then they intercept a pass on the next series. They get into the red zone and the drive stalls. They have six plays from the eleven yard line or in because of a penalty and they could not punch the ball in, and then they had a field goal blocked. So at that point, the Jets were on the verge of potentially blowing this game open. They could have gone up 14 nothing, crowd going crazy. You wonder what the Bengals' mindset would have been. How many times do you see a team in that situation start to have that look like maybe it's not going to be our day and things just kind of snowball? Jets had that kick blocked. Game goes back and forth. The Bengals... Get a, get a little rhythm offensively. Um, A.J. Green has a monster game, one of the biggest in his career. Darrell Rivas was one of the goats for the Jets. Green had a long touchdown that actually wasn't entirely Rivas' fault. It looked it looked like a busted coverage where he was expecting help, but the Bengals hit, hit uh, passes to Green whenever they wanted to on Rivas. It was a really rough day, and after the season Rivas had last year where he was very good, he was a Pro Bowl player, but he was not the... He was not the Rivas Island of old, so to speak. You were kind of wondering what you would see entering this 2016 season. It was, it was not a good start. Defensively, it was kind of a, t- a tale of two cities where you had a tremendous performance from the defensive line. They register seven sacks against one of the top offensive lines in the league of Cincinnati without Sheldon Richardson. But the back end of the defense made a lot of mistakes. There was the blown coverage on the long touchdown I talked about. Mentioned how Revis had a rough game. Marcus Williams, who's stepping into a starting role because the Jets cut Antonio Cromartie. He was an excellent dime back a year ago. He did not look very good. He got burned by Brandon LaFell one-on-one. He made a couple mistakes in zone. So the defense had an up-and-down game, and... Defense had the lead late in the fourth quarter. They let the Bengals drive into field goal range, connect on the game-winning kick. The offense showed signs of life for the Jets. Matt Forte looked very good, both as a receiver and a runner. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, your old buddy, the um, Buffalo's old friend, was erratic. Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker did not really get involved in the game, although Decker did have a touchdown. Marshall's biggest contribution was a key drop on the last drive with the Jets trying to drive into field goal range for a win. So it's a frustrating game for the Jets. They were only they only scored two touchdowns and five trips to the red zone. They were one of the top red zone offenses in the league last year. Defensively, even despite seven sacks, Andy Dalton had a big game. So frustrating loss. The Jets had Jets had this game. They had a chance to go up big early. They had the lead late and they just couldn't get it done. 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting matchup heading into week two because, you know, some of the things that you mentioned there, uh, for starters, seven sacks against the Bengals, you know, stout, normally stout offensive line is, uh, and especially with Andy Dalton, who we saw a year ago when he came to Buffalo, very quick getting the ball out generally. So to get seven sacks against him obviously, you know, means that front seven is playing as well as, as they normally do. And, you know, with the Bills being potentially without left tackle Cordy Glenn on Thursday uh, and in general just playing poor on the offensive line on Sunday against the Ravens, you wonder if uh, that's a big mismatch. But then, you know, with the secondary maybe being, uh, you know, a bit of a question mark, if Sammy Watkins can suit up with that that injured foot, maybe he has a chance to break a big play on Revis. But, uh, you know, Rex Ryan mentioned today, he said, the Jets' defense is better uh, than the Ravens' defense. He thinks it's a, a better unit, and so obviously the Bills are going to need to be a lot better. Uh, but I, I want to ask you about Revis because, uh, you know, obviously the big storyline coming out of that game was that Revis, you know, had, had been scorched by A.J. Green and that Revis Island was no more. Was it as bad as people made it out to be, and, and does he look, you know, that much worse, or is this a situation where a great player just had uh, an off game. It was not as bad as it as it's made out to be. You look at the stats, A.J. Green went for 180, but it still was a bad performance by Revis. Uh, Green clearly won the day. Revis was playing. I, I think one of the things that was kind of disturbing was how soft Revis was playing, how many times the Bengals were just nickeling and diming, Green running short routes and dumping it to him if, because Revis was giving such a big cushion. And I always I think back to Revis's first stint with the Jets, and one of the things that always stuck out was it wasn't just that you knew he would hold his own. You, you weren't confident that Re- it wasn't just that you were confident that Revis would be able to play well against elite opponents. It's that you knew he was going to go out there and dominate the, the opponent, no matter who it was, whether it was Randy Moss in his prime, whether it was Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson. And he doesn't have that anymore. And I think last year, last year he got a lot of criticism. And I thought some of it was unmerited because he really only had two bad games. One of which you probably remember was the Week 17 game where Sammy Watkins won won his matchups against Revis. But he's he's a guy you're not. You can't. He's not. A, I, I do think Revis Island is a thing of the past now. He's not a guy you can just stick out one-on-one against the other team's best receiver. I still think he can be a quality corner. I think he can be an asset for this team. But you're going to have to diversify what you do in the back of the defense. If he's playing against a a physical possession receiver, if that's your number one guy, yeah, I think you can stick him out. You think you can stick him out there one-on-one the whole game. In other situations, you may want to put Revis on the number two guy and bracket the number one guy. There are going to be situations where you're just going to want to give Revis help. So I, I think we clearly, and the guy's 31 years old. He's been the best corner of his generation. It's inevitable there's going to be some sort of decline. I don't think he's totally washed up. I don't think he's as bad as he looked yesterday. But there is a noticeable decline in his game from where he was at his peak. Yeah, I, and I think the biggest thing with a guy like Revis, too, is, uh, you know, he, he was obviously a corner that had incredible athleticism was very quick and physical and all those things but uh, he didn't just forget how to play the position just because uh, he might not be as quick or as athletic as he was 
uh, once upon a time. But I, I do think it presents a really interesting matchup heading into Thursday night because uh, reports in the last 24 hours have varied on Sammy Watkins' foot. Um, but the fact of the matter is he came out of that game against the Ravens uh, with some discomfort in that surgically repaired foot. Uh, and so mentally, you know that's going to be a thing for him. Uh, he was only targeted six times, uh, caught four balls for 43 yards uh, on Sunday. But on the short week, you know, he says he will definitely play on Thursday night. But Rex Ryan didn't seem quite as confident. Uh, and reports on Monday morning were that, you know, as of last night, the Bills were afraid they might lose him for the season. But uh, even if Watkins is out there, I think it's safe to say he won't be his usual self. He won't be the Sammy Watkins uh, who dominated Revis in Week 17 last year. But if Sammy Watkins is out there at 80% or whatever it may be, I think he's the type of receiver who can give you know Revis trouble at this stage in his career because you know Watkins is so dangerous, uh, you know, over the top and and on deep routes. But if he's not himself, uh, you know, that's the 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 Bills' best chance of winning because if it if it's Robert Woods against Darrell Revis, I think Darrell Revis still dominates that type of receiver uh, with ease. But Watkins is the type of guy you know who could give this this uh, this defense some trouble if if he's actually healthy. Yeah, and I think Revis's Revis's decline is going to be more graceful than you might see from another corner. And having watched the Jets all these years, Revis's partner was always Antonio Cromartie. Cromartie was a guy who relied so much on his athleticism that you knew when he declined when it went when it started to go for him it was going to go quickly. Revis did depend on top shelf athleticism to dominate, but he's also a really smart corner uses very good technique. So I still think he's going to have a, a career. I still think he has a few years left at corner where he can be a quality player, even if he's not the top-notch corner we've become accustomed to seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, and that that's sort of what I alluded to is that this guy still, you know, like you said, he has the technique uh, and all that, and I think he still prepares. I think that's part of what made him uh, so great at his peak was uh, not only just how physically talented he was and how technically sound he was, but that he was always prepared for the receiver that he was going up against. Uh, he always knew what he was up against. So uh, I don't think, you know, like I said, I don't think that just disappears. I don't think he forgets how to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, a full-strength Sammy Watkins would give him some trouble, unfortunately, for the Bills. I don't think a full-strength Sammy Watkins will be on the field on Thursday night. I think another matchup that I'm going to be very interested in following on the other side of the ball Rex Ryan has owned Ryan Fitzpatrick in his career I believe he's eight and one uh, in games against Ryan Fitzpatrick he was two and oh last year uh, and Fitzpatrick was not good in either game uh, from the other side from the Jets perspective when you're watching Ryan Fitzpatrick against Rex Ryan and you watched you watched it from both sides, I guess, when Rex Ryan was coaching the Jets and dominating Fitzpatrick, and now when Rex has been coaching the Bills and, and dominating Fitzpatrick as the Jets quarterback. What do you see in terms of uh, what happens to Fitzpatrick when he's, when he's going up against Rex Ryan? You know, I think the game I always think back to was a game in 2011 when the Jets came in off their bye. It was a big game for both teams because the Bills had Bills got off to a fast start. The Jets were heading up to Orchard Park. I remember feeling very confident going into that game because 
it seemed to me what the Bills offense was predicated on, and it seems to me what the Jets offense under Chan Gailey now is predicated on is having Fitzpatrick make effective free snaps and get the ball out quickly. And Rex's scheme always had his corners playing aggressively at the line. You know, at that point they had a vintage Revis and they could take away Fitzpatrick's first or second read. And Fitzpatrick's not a great decision maker. Once I, I feel like he's not a great decision maker. Once you force him to go deeper into the play, I, the way I view him is a guy who's very effective diagnosing what's, what's happening pre-snap but if what he wants is not there, then he can get himself into trouble because there are many instances where even if it's not there, he'll just go after it. And that's where that's where you see the mistakes happen. You know, he's kind of I've heard him described as kind of Brett Favre without the arm. I think that's you know, he's kind of kind of a gunslinger who takes a lot of chances, but he also has physical limitations that really come back to bite him when he takes these chances. So I just think it's kind of a he's his style of play does not mesh well with the Rex Ryan defense. Yeah, definitely not. And he, he definitely does like to take chances. And I was talking to Bill's cornerback, Nikel Roby today about Fitzpatrick and you could almost see Roby's face lighting up about the idea that they get to play Fitzpatrick and, and the way Fitzpatrick plays, how he, you know, they like that he gets the ball out quickly because I think that plays right into uh, their hands, like you mentioned, Rex Ryan likes to have the corners up close to the line of scrimmage. And something Nikel Roby mentioned that was interesting was he said Fitzpatrick doesn't like zone coverage. Uh, he said he thinks it confuses him. And as you mentioned, when his first read or what he expects the defense to look like after the snap isn't there and the play goes on, things get a little bit dicey for him. And, and that's when you see some of those turnovers and and things like that. It almost, especially everybody in Buffalo knows after watching him for years that uh, you're almost just waiting for that big turnover when Ryan Fitzpatrick is at quarterback, and that that's only amplified when uh, you know he's playing against Rex Ryan. But that that by no means you know means that Fitzpatrick can't come in to Buffalo on Thursday night and and light up Rex Ryan's defense. But uh, he's certainly history certainly tells us. Uh, the odds are against him, and I don't know about you, but I'm expecting Thursday night to be a bit of an ugly game. Yeah, I, I would expect that. I would not be surprised to see the defenses dominate. And I think one of the funny things about Fitzpatrick is when you have one of these veteran journeymen who always gets a starting job, I think the perception is that they're a great game manager, so to speak. So you get this idea in your head that they're really smart with the football. And the other thing that plays into that with Fitzpatrick is that he went to Harvard. So that that kind of uh, that plays into the perception that Fitzpatrick's a guy who's very careful with the ball, who avoids the big mistake, and that's really not who he is at all. He's really more of a that gunslinger type of guy who goes for the big play and frequently pays the price for it. Yeah, I think it is a really funny kind of you know juxtaposition there because uh, there is that perception that. Uh, you know, the longer you're in the league, the the better you are with at taking care of the football. But saw with Brett Favre, it certainly wasn't the case. And I think Fitzpatrick's the prime example that. And you're probably right. The fact that he went to Harvard uh, definitely plays into this idea that he's a you know a heady player and he he's a smart guy with the ball and he's definitely a smart guy. There's no question about that. But uh, he definitely likes to take risks, and I think he's. Uh, like any quarterback, doesn't like to be pressured. Uh, and as you alluded to, he doesn't 
uh, as things get deeper in a play and he has to move off that first quick read, things uh, get tricky for him. And I think that is where the Bills, uh, you know, have a chance on Thursday night, uh, just because they've dominated him in the past and those corners play so close to the line of scrimmage. Darby and Gilmore are both really tough to throw the ball on, uh, and it's a matter of you know if the defense can have a repeat performance of what they did against the Ravens, then all the offense has to do is hit one or two big plays. But the offense hasn't been all that good uh, for the Bills, and they certainly weren't inspiring on Sunday. So, as I said, it kind of leads you to believe that Thursday night could be especially because it's a short week. Uh, neither team really has any time to prepare for the game. It could be a not-so-pretty display of American football for the national TV audience. Yeah, and you know, like one of the funny things about, well, just one last thing about Fitzpatrick is that despite everything we said, he's some, been something of a godsend for the Jets because despite, being how lim- despite how limited he is, he does bring some skills to the table. I do think his, you see his intellect come into play frequently when it comes to diagnosing things pre-snap. And there was a point last year where I saw an interview with Brandon Marshall where he said just that, where he says he can't get over how, how smart Fitzpatrick is when it comes to film study and finding tendencies in opponents. But you look at the Jets, as limited as Fitzpatrick is, you compare it to what the Jets have had had in the five years preceding his arrival, you know, four or five years, whether it be Mark Sanchez or Geno Smith, he was a big upgrade over what they had. And you look at the season he had last year where it was not spectacular, but he was clearly comfortable in Chan Gailey's system, and he developed good chemistry with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. So I think from the Jets' standpoint, he still he still is the best you can do, and he still does bring certain things to the table. He, this start to the season was not that encouraging. He did not have a great game. On, on Sunday against Cincinnati. So yeah, we'll see what happens. It definitely does have the potential to be a low-scoring uh, drag-em-out affair. And on that note, let me ask you, how, how are the Bills special teams? The Bills special teams did okay on, on Sunday. Dan Carpenter missed a 49-yard field goal, which uh, definitely hurt the Bills. I think Colton Schmidt, the Bills punter, is, is one of uh, the best punters in the league. He's consistently... Uh, punts the ball well. Uh, they have a kickoff specialist. They're the only team in the league that has that. So Jordan Gay uh, is pretty consistent uh, with those kicks. Brandon Tate uh, had a nice little return on Sunday. Uh, I think their coverage units were good. Uh, Reggie Bush wasn't uh, necessarily what they had hoped for, I don't think. But uh, overall, I think the special teams have been fine for the Bills. They definitely were not the problem on Sunday, although. Carpenter is one to monitor because last year wasn't his best year. And yeah, 49 yard kick is tough, but uh, the Bills needed it and, and he couldn't come through. So I think uh, the Bills special teams are fine. They're not hurting them, but I don't know that it's necessarily the strength of their game either. Yeah, from the Jets perspective, it's um, it's interesting. Last year's special teams really hurt the Jets. And you think to both both games against Buffalo last year, they had a big special teams let down whether it be Devin Smith's fumble that the Bill on a kickoff return that the Bills return for a touchdown or the Week 17 game where Ryan quickly shanks a punt. Nick Folk had a rough game in Week 1 against the Bengals. He had a 22-yard kick blocked, which 
if it's a 55 yard kick and the ball has to be hit on a low tra- trajectory, it has to be a line drive to get there. It's one thing. 22 yarder really should never be blocked, so that's on Falk. And he also missed an extra point, which really came back to bite them in a one point loss. Falk is kind has always been kind of inconsistent for the Jets. One of the interesting things is that you'll see a number of rookies as part of some of the other special groupings on special team. The primary return guy is Jalen Marshall, who earned a spot on the roster. He was an undrafted rookie out of Ohio State. He had a big kickoff return in Sunday's game against the Bengals. And they also drafted a punter in the seventh round, Lachlan Edwards, who has a big leg. He really had a strong preseason, and that continued in week one against the Bengals. So... Jet special teams unit was one of the biggest reasons they missed the playoffs last year. I mentioned the two games against the Bills. They allowed a big punt return to Darren Sproles against the Eagles week three last year. That really kind of turned that game around, and the Jets were playing catch-up the rest of the way. Jets actually let go of their special teams coach, Bobby April, who I believe was a former assistant with the Bills. They brought in a new coach, Brant Boyer, from uh, Indianapolis. He had been a special teams assistant. So... The early returns, Folk had a rough game against the Bengals, but the rookies have looked good so far. So there is optimism there that maybe the Jets have improved on special teams. Yeah, it's interesting. Bobby April's son, Bobby April the third, because I believe it's Bobby April Jr. who was the Jets special teams coach. Bobby April the third is the Bills linebacker coach uh, now, and. So there's a, there's a ton of connections, uh, which is all you know. There was obviously a ton of those when the Bills played the Ravens in Week One, with Tyrod going back to Baltimore and Rex going back to Baltimore. Um, but this is another one of those games where there's a ton of connections, not just um, you know with uh, Rex obviously having coached there and a lot of these guys on this staff having come from New York, but. Also, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets to make his return to Buffalo. And uh, I always find this week interesting because we always get Ryan Fitzpatrick on a conference call. And Buffalo reporters just love Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's, you know, he's quick with a joke. He he kind of he, he gets them eaten out of the palm of his hand pretty quickly. So uh, it's always fun when when he comes back to Buffalo because, uh, you know, he did spend so much time here. And it, it almost makes you wonder, um, you know, like you said, you were sitting there wondering what, what might have been with the Jets if, if they could have found a quarterback, you know, like Tyrod Taylor when Rex was in town. Well, who knows what would have happened to the Bills if, if Ryan Fitzpatrick had stuck around and, and maybe been able to put together a couple of these years. Uh, very, Always a very interesting game with the Bills and Jets just because of all those strange tie-ins that they have uh, with one another. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, you know, it's all, it, it's really funny how, as you said, how many connections there are. You have, it's it's very rare where you see a, a, a game where one team has the both teams have a, a former head coach of the other on their coaching staff. Where you know, the, obviously Rex Ryan is the head coach of the Bills, and the Jets have Chan Gailey as their offensive coordinator. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's like. The Jets have the Bills' old offense. The Bills have the Jets' old defense. It's and really the results for both teams aren't much different than they would have been, you know, in 2012 or whatever it was. Uh, but uh, it, it definitely makes for some interesting storylines. Uh, I'll ask you this: Who? And it's still early in the week. We don't have injury reports, but who do you have coming out on top in this game? 
Um, I'll tell you, I, I like the Jets. I think the Bills, it seems like it's been a, a long training camp and early week one of the regular season for the Bills. I like the way the Jets' defensive line is playing. Seven sacks yesterday without Sheldon Richardson because Richardson was suspended. His suspension is over, so they'll get him back this week. Uh, it sounds like Watkins is banged up. At, even if he plays, it sounds like he may be kind of limited. So I think I'm taking the Jets this week. How about you? Yeah, I think it, this is an interesting game to pick because a week ago when I you know went through the entire schedule, I thought the Bills would lose to the Ravens and then bounce back in their home opener and beat the Jets. But a lot has happened since then. Uh, the Bills will more than likely be without their left tackle. There's a chance they'll be without Sammy Watkins. And like you said, if even if he's on the field, he won't be 100%. Uh, and that changes things because those are arguably the two best players on, on the Bills' offense. Uh, so, you know, there's a, a chance that, you know, late in the week, if, if there's better health news uh, about those two, that um, I would start leaning towards the Bills again because they will have the home crowd. Uh, the Bills are playing against Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's what makes me lean towards the Bills. But at this point, you wonder if they'll be able to get anything going on offense uh, to really counter uh, what the Jets are going to do on defense. So, like I said, I think it's going to be really ugly. Uh, and, you know, based on injury reports at the end of the week, may sway it one way or the other. But right now, I think I'm with you. I think I'm leaning towards the Jets uh, just because if you can get seven sacks against Andy Dalton and, and the Bengals offensive line, then, uh, you know, God help Tyrod Taylor on Thursday night without his left tackle. That's one thing that does scare me. The fact that they have Tyrod back there, because who knows what happens if he, he, one thing he can do is he can use his legs to extend plays. So if he, if he can get loose against some of these, man, against some of these man to man coverages, he might be able to make some big plays and possibly change this game a little bit. Yeah. He always has that ability and he, it was weird because on Sunday it was almost like he was purposely not using his legs. Uh, and the Ravens said uh, in the locker room after the game, Brandon Williams, their defensive tackle, said our game plan was to make him be a quarterback. And, you know, you start to wonder if, if teams have figured it out. Uh, you know, the Jets played Tyrod Taylor twice last year. So you wonder if teams are, are kind of figuring out how to keep him in the pocket uh, and defend him that way. But, at the same time, they're going to bring the heat, uh, and Sheldon Richardson will be back in there. I, I think it's going to be very interesting. Tyrod Taylor always has the ability to sway a game in that way, um, and it's part of why I think this game is, is going to be really ugly. And you know, you you mentioned the special teams. I think that's you know that could sway the game. It's going to be one of those really really close games that that gets you know flipped by who who makes the big play uh, or. You know, who makes the dumb play if Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, throws a dumb interception or if uh, Tyrod Taylor is able to get loose for a big run. You know, those are the little things that are, are tough to predict. But certainly uh, the early indication on this one is that the Jets uh, have a little bit of an advantage heading in. Well, this is this is kind of in many ways, this is a strange game. I picked the Jets, but I can't say I have a ton of conviction just because. As we've discussed, these teams know each other so well. It's a divisional game. You play each other twice a year. Short week. 
weird things can happen. I think both of those, both the games these teams played last year were very strange games. You had the the Thursday night game they played last year where the Bills jump out to this big lead on a fumble that's returned on a kickoff. The Jets come storming back, almost win the game. And then you have the Week 17 game where, you know, I say that, I say I'm picking the Jets here. I thought for sure the Jets would beat the Bills Week 17 last year. Jets have the playoffs on the line. Bills are really out of it. They don't have anything to play for. Bills, Bills show up. They play a great game. Jets don't. Bills outplay the Jets. Jets, Jets go home for the, uh, go home for a long spring and summer. So, these games are tough to pick. I, I pick the Jets. I would not be shocked at all to see a Buffalo victory, though. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I think as ugly as it will likely be, uh, and the Bills played an ugly one on Sunday. The Bills kind of major in ugly games. I think the Jets uh, do do so as well at times. So. Uh, it'll be one of those weirdly entertaining games in that, like you said, strange things are going to happen. And let's face it, home opener for the Bills. Uh, people have been revved up about this one for quite a while, even though morale is down in Bills Bills country right now. Um, I think a lot of people already took Thursday and Friday off. The tailgating is going to start early. Should be a wild atmosphere at what is now New Era Field in Orchard Park. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun one. So uh, we'll see what happens. But thanks for uh, thanks for doing this crossover podcast. It was fun. I, I think uh, we'll probably have to get together again later in the year to see uh, how the rematch goes. Absolutely. My pleasure. That'll do it for our show. Have a great day, everyone. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.